Welcome to Bookends, a virtual book club brought to you by The Team Approach. I'm your host, Susan Stam, and today we visit with Henry Mintzberg, author of Simply Managing, What Managers Do and Can Do Better. To access today's podcast or any of our programs, visit bookendsbookclub.net. Be sure to check out our free stuff button for free chapters and material provided by the authors featured on this program. Professor Henry Mintzberg, welcome to Bookends. Thank you, Susan. I'm happy to be here. You got my attention in the beginning of your book, Simply Managing, when you said it's become popular to talk about us being overmanaged and underled. I believe we are now overled and undermanaged. Share some observations that bring you to this conclusion. I don't think those two things can be separated. Uh, I mean, they can be separated in, in theory and conceptually and so on, but they can't be separated in the person. People who lead, people who manage but don't lead are, are discouraging. Nobody wants to work for them. People who lead and don't manage don't know what's going on. And there's an awful lot of that going on now. <clears throat> when you look at subprime mortgages and all kinds of things going on, you have to say to yourself, do they know what's happening in their companies? Um, and if you put yourself up above the fray in some kind of, you know, sort of, superior to mere managers, uh, then you're creating trouble. The, the great leaders are people who are on the ground managing. They know mm. what's going on. They're in touch. They're, they're involved. I, I, I agree with you completely. So, so um, would, you, would you feel that some of the, you know, the, the increase in all of the ethical issues uh, that we see again and again and again in corporate America is a result of the fact that people are not being managed enough today? Um, I think there's some of that, but I think a lot of that corruption is coming from the so-called top itself, um, mm-hmm. coming from leaders who are, who are either disconnected or, you know, see, you don't have to be disconnected to be a crook. <laughs> In some ways, <laughs> you can you can, uh, you can be fully connected and and and, and be uh, and, and you know be corrupt in all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. In fact, some of the most famous corrupt dictators in the world are very much in in touch. That's the problem. Um, right, but a lot of it does come from people who don't feel uh, what employees or customers or people in the local communities are feeling, um, so they can dismiss it because they're not uh, close enough to it. Mm-hmm. Well, most of us envision a manager as a person who is frequently delegating tasks. Yet you point out that this is not as easy as it may seem. Could you tell us about the dilemma of delegating and the role of manager as it relates to the data that they carry with them? Yeah, you know, in order to delegate, I mean, there are some things that come in and are easily delegated. You know, somebody asks for some information and you say, hey, John, go get go get that information. That That's pretty simple. Um, but other more complicated tasks, to delegate require an awful lot of information to do them properly. And one of my arguments in the book is that being a manager sort of gives you access to a broader broader array, array of information than anybody else in your own unit or if you're the chief executive in your own organization. Plus, it enables you to be in touch with people at your own status level who themselves are kind of what I call nerve centers of their organizations. So if you're managing well, you have a lot of information that's kind of in your head, um, but you can't just press a button to send it along. So 
if somebody is to be delegated some task, some key task, often you have to send the information that you have in your head along with it. That can take so much time that it's easier to do it yourself. Or what commonly happens is you delegate without that, passing that information along, and then the person comes back and you say, well, didn't you think of X, Y, and Z? Mm-hmm. And they say, uh, well, you never told me that. How was I supposed to know? It seems to uh, you know, really um, tie right into the fact that we're not developing leaders, new leaders, new managers in the pipeline because of the time involved to do this, this downloading. It'd be great if we could just make an automatic transfer of that information from one person's brain to, a, to another, but I guess we're uh, a bit away from that, um, from that well, situation. The danger, the, da- the danger is assuming that, too. The danger is assuming that what you haven't in hard information, you know, in your laptop or on your iPhone or whatever it is, uh, can just be forwarded. Of course it can be forwarded, but there's a lot more what's known as tacit information that you have. Some of it without even knowing that you have it, but a lot of it you know, but, but mm. it's not, you know, your reaction to people, how you feel about different personalities and who's capable of doing what. Those things aren't recorded usually. They can be told, but they can't. Uh, they can be recorded, but nobody's going to take the time to do that. Yeah, it seems. It seems that this this um, this area that you're discussing right now has really been amplified by the whole knowledge worker syndrome and, and the amount of information that each of us does carry and the complexity of that information and uh, you know its its implications for. Um, making the decision to just do it yourself versus bringing people yeah. along and, and maybe accepting not quite something to your standards if you would have done it yourself personally by but you know instead uh, trying to use that affinity to develop another person. Would you agree? I think it's worse. I think it's worse for managers than knowledge workers. Knowledge, knowledge workers are trained experts. They're they're professionals. A lot more their information is explicit. Um, certainly a lot of it is tacit, but a lot of it is explicit. You know, physicians go through uh, uh, protocols that are well-known for very complex operations. Um, they still have a lot of tacit knowledge that distinguishes the really good ones from the others. Um, but there's a lot more professional recorded knowledge, uh, what, what they do, medical people like to call evidence-based medicine. Um, there's not much evidence-based management. Well, tell us, uh, talk to us a little bit about this idea that you refer to as deeming. What does this mean, and how is it impacting organizations? Well, I use the word deeming to mean that that uh, some people manage just by telling other people what what performance levels they like them to meet, and that's it. So I sit as chief executive and say cut costs by ten percent, and. Uh, uh, and you're sitting there like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? How can I do it? Or you may be sitting there saying, um, I can't uh, cut costs by 10%. I'm running this place really lean. If I have to cut costs by 10%, I'm going to ruin this place. Um, but it's simple for someone else above you, so it's in the hierarchy at least, to say uh, to say uh, you do it or you get fired. And, um, uh, you know, that's the origin, by the way, of... of uh, uh, my publisher, Barrett Kohler, he, he went through that where he was working mm. Steve Presanti before, and he just said, I refuse to cut. I'm running this place tightly. And so they fired him. And so he founded Barrett Kohler. Um, yeah. But it's easy. You know, my granddaughter, she's about uh, nine. She could uh, manage by deeming. She could tell people numbers. 
and then mm-hmm. go back and wait for them to, to realize them. There seems to be a real direct correlation to this and that statement that we began earlier and the fact that leaders are not also managers. If they really did um, function more by wandering around and really had a sense of how these numbers impacted real people and real situations and outcomes and work, they might be uh, a little bit more realistic in, in these kinds of numbers. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. They've got to roll up their sleeves and find out what's going on. And that's mm-hmm. not micromanaging. Micromanaging is something else. Micromanaging is when you interfere with what other people have to do. This isn't micromanaging. This is simply getting informed. I yeah. realize that some people can misinterpret it, um, but there should be a good enough relationship so that if you're as a senior manager walking around sort of looking at things, people aren't quaking in their boots about what's he going to do or is she going to do next. Mm-hmm. Uh, but rather they're uh, saying, oh, good, you know, she's involved. She knows what's going on. She cares. Yeah. Well, in the book, you say, in contrast to decision-making as a form of controlling, culture is decision-shaping as a form of leading. Could you share some of the analogies from the book that help support this particular statement. Yeah, I, I, I don't recall sort of referencing anybody for that. I probably, other people have probably said that before. I just don't remember if anybody <laughs> has. But, but, uh, but you, know, the, the, you know, the Harvard Business Review used to have on its cover for years uh, the magazine for decision makers. And, and Harvard has tended to see, the Harvard Business School historically, has tended to see managers as decision makers and, and, and Bush Number two was probably the worst of them. You know, he had this image of himself as the decision maker. Yes. You go through all these case studies, you're constantly making phony decisions in a classroom that don't have any meaning at all, and you don't know, you don't even understand the situations you're making decisions about because you've read twelve-listed cases with no tacit knowledge mm-hmm. to get back to all of that. So, so uh, there's a lot more shaping going on in managing and leading than there is in decision-making itself. You're influencing the basis on which all kinds of other people are making these delegated and other decisions. Yeah. Well, I loved the statement from your book where you say, don't necessarily go looking for middle management in the middle of anything or top management on the top of things. You discussed middle management being under attack for some time now. Do you feel organizations would survive without middle managers? Why or why not? No, no, there's no way they would survive without middle managers. And a lot of them that have cut to the bone have just created all kinds of problems. Um, Middle managers aren't just people in the middle, you know, in this famous middle, who are just passing orders down and information back up. Um, I think many, very often, they're key to driving change in their organizations because when you're a senior manager in a very large organization, you've got a lot to look after and you know you can get very disconnected. As a middle manager, you may be able to see both the operations on the ground and think about those more conceptually. So middle managers may actually be better or, or more, more natural strategists in some respects than uh, than senior managers um, because they they've got those connections more more naturally. You know, every organization talks about top management and middle management. Did you ever come across an organization that talked about bottom management? <laughs> um, it's kind of amusing because if, if nobody wants to use the term bottom management, shouldn't that be telling us something about top management and middle management? 
you know, after all, the ones at the bottom uh, know they're at the bottom if everybody else is called top and middle. Um, so so I, I think there should be a rule that if you're not prepared to use the word bottom management, you better get rid of top management and middle management. Not oh, get I rid like of the it. people, but get rid of the words. Yeah. You know, top, what, what are top managers on top of? They're on top of the pay scale. They're on top of the building. Um, they're often not on top of what's going on. If, if you see yourself on top, you may not be able to be on top of what's going on because you're sort of looking down on everybody <laughs> to mix all those metaphors. But, but um, um, you know, I, I much prefer to see a management, a senior management that's involved, that, that's, you know, all over the organization. I prefer to see a middle management that sees itself as connecting people, mm-hmm. connecting laterally as well as, uh, as well as sort of vertically in the chart at least. Um, but we could get rid of that chart, I think, and, yeah, make everybody more happy. Yeah, that, that, that's great. I I just I really appreciate your thinking in in that in that regard. Imagine introducing yourself. My name is Susan Stam. I'm a bottom manager. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put that on my business card. Uh, like uh, a bottom fi- eater. Yeah, like exactly. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Well, final question for you today, uh, Henry. Uh, Although there is so much more we could talk about, and uh, I'd love to visit with you again sometime. I understand you have a a new book, uh, and um, I'm eager to hear about that as well. But in your chapter on managing on the tightrope, you discuss uh, you know, the challenge of silos in organizations, we're all familiar with, with that. Um, but while this is problematic enough, you suggest that having horizontal slabs that run through these silos could be a much more serious problem. And I'd agree, I hadn't really thought of, of that situation. And um, the visual that you provide in the book was excellent. Describe how organizations could recognize this is happening and how they could reverse it. Well, you know, often it just comes through literally. You hear people saying, you know, oh, the, oh those, those people on the sixth floor. I remember a company in Prague, a phone company, you know, everybody used to refer to that sixth floor as if there was some kind of inner sanctum up there. And now these were all these senior people talking to each other and not that much to everybody else. So you can see signs of that everywhere. I mean, we, we, we have a little operation, a little company called CoachingOurselves.com, where, 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 uh, where, where people do these kind of self-training. And, and we have one topic that they do called silos and slabs in organizations. And, and we did it with, with the senior management of a bank in two groups. Um, and they decided, no, slabs aren't the problem, silos are the problem. And, and I said, well, you might want to ask some people on a slab or two below you whether they agree with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they're, they're on the top slab looking down and saying, you know, that's not a problem. We're not the problem. And other people looking up and saying, you got me done well, are mm-hmm. the problem because you're, uh, you're separate from us and you're not interacting with us. Yeah. So it's just a matter of asking and determining that, that there really is something in place that's preventing information from flowing through them. And I'm, I'm sure that if we had the time that we could could explore this a great deal more. Um, Henry, I did really want to encourage people to um, to, to uh, take a look at your book, Simply Managing. I think it's filled with, with really great insights and um, uh, just a lot of really good information. Before we end our time together today, would you just tell us just very briefly about your new project, your new book that's going to be released soon. What is it called and yeah, what's it about? It's called Rebalancing Society and the subtitle is Radical Renewal Beyond Left, Right and Center. It's obviously ambitious. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually out as a, uh, as a, on my website under that title, mitzberg.org. Uh, okay. Let's spell it with a Z, not a Z, because this is Canada. I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but um, it's on my website, um, and uh, it's coming out as a Barrett Kohler book uh, toward the end of the year. And um, it basically argues that we've gone out of balance. Uh, many societies, particularly the U.S., but not only, mm-hmm. have gone out of balance. There was a kind of misunderstanding of why communism collapsed. It collapsed mm-hmm. because it was out of balance. Um, and compared to them, we in, in the Western countries were in balance. We balanced across the sectors. We had stronger governments than we do now, you know, or more independent governments than we do now. We we had strong private sector, and we have a strong what I call plural sector or civil society or whatever you want to call it, this sort of community sector. And ever since 1989 and this misunderstanding of capitalism, Having triumphed, we've been going seriously out of balance on the side of the public, uh, private sector. Mm-hmm. Um, in the U.S., it's you know Congress has become a, a kind of a you know place where there's, there's just immense amounts of lobbying and you know and, uh, and and democracy is under really really great threat. And um, so I'm proposing that we think about rebalancing society by recognizing that governments have to be respected. That markets have to be, or businesses have to be responsible, and that community organizations have to be robust. They have to be active Mm -hmm. in a healthy society. Well, it sounds it sounds wonderful, and I certainly will look forward to to that that book as soon as that's released, um, and perhaps we can visit again. Henry, we've really again only scratched the surface. I hope listeners will will get a copy of your book and want to read and discuss it. I'd like to thank you again for taking the time to visit with us today, in particular of your busy schedule with your book. deadline at the end of the week. I've personally learned a great deal from your work and really appreciate your taking the time to share with us today. Bookends is brought to you by The Team Approach. All Bookends podcasts can be found at bookendsbookclub.net. Be sure to check out our resource blog for resources provided by authors featured on this program. Bookends producer is John David Bowman. I'm Susan Stamm. Thanks again for listening. 